The Women of Ill Repute with your hosts, Wendy Mesley and Maureen Holloway. Families. Am I right? Uh, y- yeah, but, but what do you mean, families? <laughs> Just say it right. Uh, you can't live with them. You can't. Uh, you can't keep dark secrets without them. Oh yeah, maybe. I I don't know. I mean, a lot of people are there. A lot of people are spilling family secrets. Some of them have even been on the podcast. I mean, look at some of some of them. Like Leah McLaren, uh, she wrote about her mom's rather complicated relationship with a uh, a guy who was way older than her. Teenager. Her mother was a teenager. I mean, that's that's wild. Uh, Jesse Hempel, who wrote the family outing about her entire family coming out as gay or trans or or traumatized. Yeah, and then we talked to Lauren Huff, <laughs> who was raised in a rather famous uh, sex cult. She wrote all about that shamelessly. Yeah. Yeah. So today we're going to talk to somebody who I think, well, I'm not the only one who thinks really opened the door for modern memoir writing. Uh, Jeanette Walls uh, was a New York based journalist and gossip columnist when she wrote The Glass Castle, which is an account of her upbringing, homeless for uh, often, a dysfunctional but still loving family. And, uh, and, you know, it was one of my favorite. It is one of my favorite books. It's changed so much. It's so it's been on the New York Times bestseller list for eight years. And it was also made into a movie, which has got to be weird for Jeanette. Uh, Woody Harrelson played her father. She was played by Brie Larson. That's crazy in itself. I want to ask her about a moment with uh, Woody, who's also the dad, kind of, even though he's not around anymore. It's got to be so, so, so strange. Woody's still around before you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Is he? I have to Google that. No, no, he's still around. No, he's very much around. So, Jeanette, she's gone on to write a bunch of novels. Um, all of them are inspired by family. There was uh, Half Broke Horses. Uh, that was about her grandmother. And now her latest book, not about her family so much. Well, not about her family at all, really. It tells the story of a young woman who becomes a bootlegger during Prohibition. And it just so happens that she has a rather dysfunctional family as well. excited to talk to Jeanette, who's been sitting by listening to yeah. us babble on about her, but uh, about families and secrets, which I guess once you tell them, they're not secrets anymore. Welcome, Jeanette. Thank you. Great to be here. Oh, lovely to see you. Lovely. Are you in West Virginia? I'm in Virginia. So you're like really close to Washington. I'm not that close. I'm a couple hours away. I really want to talk about Washington and and the views of people in Virginia compared to those in Washington, which are quite different. But it's it's such a different way of looking at life. But all of your books are about family and your family. I don't know. When I read the the latest book, I thought, this is kind of weird. This is kind of out there. Of course, it's based on the Tudors. We can get into that, sort of. But your family was pretty unusual, shall we say? Not as unusual as I thought. One of the neat things about having told my story is the number of people who come up and say, you know, the details of our lives are different, but you and I have a lot in common. And we've all got stories. And some people yeah. might dress their families up prettier than mine and are a lot less obvious with their stories. But, you you know, you tip at that facade and there's there's always something going on. And I guess that's one of the things that really I was really trying to get at with Hang the Moon is that you know, they seem like this perfect, powerful family, but then you get behind it and wow, everything is complicated. Everybody's got weird families. I mean, I I, I could prob- possibly maybe even surprise you with some stories about mine, uh, which I've, one day we'll write about, but I, I'm afraid and that's a whole other topic. But I want to talk about 
the fact that you're such an intrepid person yourself and your heroines are as a result. And I think that is really coming from where you came from. And then I hate the expression, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but <laughs> you sure as hell did. You went to Barnard, you've, you've had a big glamorous job in New York. I mean, nobody, no one knew what kind of background you came from until you wrote the book. And that's such a testament to you. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't think of myself as a strong person. I just think of myself as doing what has to be done and just kind of making do with what I had. Um, and people say, you always write about strong women. And it's like, well, of course. Like, <laughs> why would I write about any other kind of woman? It's, you know, um, I think we're all stronger than we realize. But some of us have been put to the test a lot. When I was working at New York Magazine, this really wealthy woman wanted me to go on vacation with her. And she didn't know anything about my past. I said, well, what did you have in mind? And she wanted to go something called Outward Bound. And I'd never heard of this Outward Bound thing before. And she explains to me how you pay a lot of money and you go out into the wilderness and forage for food. And I'm thinking, honey, you 17 years of my life for an Outward Bound. So, you know, we all have blessings and curses in our lives. And one of the, you know, and sometimes it's the same thing. The blessing is the curse if you flip it over. So yeah, I had a lot of struggles, but the upside of that is that I know how to take care of myself. I'm tough. The downside of that is I'm tough. And it took me a long time to understand that you don't always have to be tough. And it was only after the telling of my story and people understanding that I realized, wow, you know, there's a lot of goodness and kindness out there. Once you stop fighting everybody. I was really struck by that. Just reading back the stories about you writing this book and writing The Glass Castle and so on, and, and that you were in New York and you saw your mother jumping into a dumpster. I mean, you speak of her. You know, she's now buried on your property where you are now. You're, you, you brought your dad in. He was an alcoholic. They were like, they were, they were unusual parents. Like they basically left you with family, you and your, and your siblings, but somehow, somehow you, you survived. And, and so I, I talked about it in the intro when, when your book, The Glass Castle was made into a movie and Woody Harrelson is still very much alive, but he somehow channeled your dad and I just, and, and you burst into tears and, and, and you felt like you had to apologize to him. And yet he was such a crappy dad. Like, why did you? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny. I think people said, how could you forgive your parents? I think the person I had to forgive was myself. I think I have a little survivor's guilt. You know, we're all storytellers and in, in, in memoir writing, you, you're really forced to choose the story that you want to tell. And I could have made it a lot more tragic and I could have made it a lot made myself more heroic. I could have made my parents seem worse than I did. I could have made them seem better. So it's a choice. How I choose to see my dad, I believe he gave me many gifts. He also gave me a lot of garbage and a lot of toxic nonsense. But which do you focus on? Which do you, you know, and I personally believe that the love of reading, the education they gave us was such an incredible gift because it, you know, it was access two other ways of thinking. The, the realization, mom and dad are a little loopy, okay? But there are other perspectives out there and they're all available to us. So I wasn't trapped in their reality once I discovered books and journalism. Hmm. Well, when your mother died, Jeanette, you decided to bury her on your land in West Virginia, sorry, Virginia. And, uh, and then you had your father disinterred because he was buried in a military uh, cemetery and despite the fact that they were on and off together their lives, you decided to bury them together. 
on your land. Tell, tell us about that. I mean, that's not an easy process, uh, either tangibly or intangibly. Well, it was easier than I thought it would be. And mom wanted it. She wanted a green burial. And I thought it'd be really difficult. And it wasn't. We got a big old piece of property. And they said, as long as it's 200 feet away from the nearest neighbor. So it it's a very pretty spot, but it looked kind of lonely. It's under these trees. So it gets it gets sun in the uh, wintertime and shade in the summertime. But I thought, would it be really nice if dad was there? So we asked the, the, the guy at the funeral home, is it hard to move the bodies? And he said, usually not so hard, but with COVID, it is difficult now. And so uh, to find anybody, my, my brother, who's the best guy in the world, said, well, what if I were an employee? And they said, we, we'd be proud to have you as an honorary member of the pretty funeral home. So they signed up. He's a cop, right? He's a policeman, your brother? A former cop, a former teacher, an antiques expert, a gardening expert. He's just the best guy in the world. But so he goes and gets his pickup and drives upstate, fills out all the forms, puts dad in the back of his pickup, drives back down. He said the only weird part is when he went through the Taco Bell drive-in because it was very clearly a task and he was getting side glances. But they're out there together now. And I think it's quite beautiful. They were as loopy as all get out. And Lord knows there's no amount of money you could pay me to go back. And, and live through all those things. But I believe I got great gifts. And one of those gifts was I got incredible material. I mean, you know, gift <laughs> 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 that keeps giving, you know, um, and, and, and a love of storytelling. And I think that um, it's, it's a gift I actually resisted for a long time, particularly the fiction part. I didn't want to make things up. I, you know, I associate with making things up with with lying and insanity, both of which run in my family. And it was a reader who said, ma'am, I feel, I think you're afraid of creativity. I think you're afraid of imagination. Because I, I, I come from journalism and I, I, you know, I hold truth as sacred and you don't mix the two. And, uh, you know, and, and as you mentioned, my, my other um, novels were really based on my own experiences. So this idea of going out and just making things up, it's like navigating without a map. You can go in any, you know, there's no cutout road. You can go anywhere. You're in the ocean rather than on dry land. So you, you can go anywhere. And it's it's a huge task. People say, oh, it must be so much easier to make things up than to have to tell the truth. Actually, I found it more challenging because... Well, it took you eight years to write this one, right? Because, yeah, it's the first one that's not just about your grandma or about your family or whatever. Yeah, I returned. I just kept on going back to the comfort, uh, the solidness of facts. So I researched the bejesus out of it. It's based 100 years ago, and I just wanted to make sure I got it right. Uh, you know, it, and it's not just the the facts of what people were wearing and what the cars were. It's the psychology of how did people live 100 years ago. And I really believe that the actors on the, on the set of um, The Glass Castle helped me a lot in understanding when you make up characters, you're not really making them up out of whole cloth. You're inspired by by real life. You know, if Woody Harrelson had been told, play a drunk from West Virginia, you know, then you resort to stereotypes. But it was just fearless, as all these actors yeah. were, about getting inside the heads of these complicated people without judgment, just to understand. But some of the themes are are very familiar. So it, it happened during Prohibition 100 years, 100 and whatever years ago. But it's it's all about alpha males. It's all about women being screwed over. It's like some of the themes are, are very, and, and, and the, the idea of, of women having no power. Uh, it's, so some of the themes are very, very familiar to you. 
Yeah, I hope the themes are not contemporary. I hope they're, that they're timeless. And I think that sometimes, I'm not mocking anybody else's writing, but that sometimes when we read these historical novels, the characters feel very two-dimensional. They don't have these, gosh, I'm going to sound like I'm bashing other people, but I just, I wanted to make sure that, that the characters were complicated and that they were dealing with the same sort of issues that we do, but in different language, in, with, with a different mindset. I mean, because that's why I read as much as I could get my hands on about women of that age who were facing these issues. I was trying to do what these actors did, by what what motivated them, what were their fears, put these um, dilemmas in the language of the time. You, okay, well, let's go back to the tutors. And I would like to just, at this point, tell everyone, tutors as in T-U-D-O-R, not tutors as in people who have gas. <laughs> <laughs> what are the tutors? <laughs> So Sally is uh, inspired by Elizabeth I, the Duke, her father, Henry VIII. And And they never tooted. Well, I think he did a lot or should have. And all his various, well, not all of his wives. I think only you only get up to, you skip one and you go straight to to Catherine. But anyway, that's a period of history that I've been fascinated with all my life. So I have to admit, I was a little bit distracted trying to figure out who everybody was based on their counter and all the Toms, right? How many Toms are there in, in the Tudor dynasty? I was really curious as to why you chose that period. I mean, I thought it was great, but why did you decide to hang this on, on the Tudors? First of all, thank you for, for getting it. Um, I, um, I don't talk about it a whole lot in the U.S. because people don't understand who the hell I'm talking about. Like, yeah. Elizabeth, was she the one beheaded? So I just kind of, we don't go And all the Marys and oh my God. <laughs> they just, I, you know, I, I love my country, but we're not that, we're not so good on other countries' histories. Um, but I had long been fascinated by Elizabeth. My mother and father used to fight voraciously about her. Um, my father adored her. My mother hated her. She's like, she's just like my mom. She was bossy. She always had to have her way. My dad great tough ass broad <laughs> who did what had to be done, you know, and showed men how to do it. And I just, I loved, I loved my dad's vision of her. And I was reading a biography one time of her while I was touring on behalf of the glass cast. People were saying, Oh, I can't believe you love your father after all the horrible things he's done. And I thought, look at Elizabeth, look at Elizabeth. Talk about your dysfunctional families. Talk about your awful dads. And she would still go to portraits of, of her father when she was trying to, to solve problems. She would try to channel him. And I thought, how friggin' complicated is that? So I, you know, and, and I was reading about them like killing each other and marrying cousins and all that. And I thought, they're just like white trash, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I know. But I think Jeanette's earned the right. We're all fighting over our territory. We're all fighting over family. Yeah, that's what it's all about. And it's about power and feeling safe and and who is loved. And you've you know and and in the Duke, as in with Henry, you've got this this incredible charismatic man who you know everybody wants to please him, and he offers them safety uh, if they give him um, power. And I, I, it's a fascinating dynamic, but once he disappears, then what happens and who rises mm-hmm. to the occasion? And is it a woman who is deemed to be not capable of that kind of work? Or is it a man, a young man who is not really 
cut out for that. You know, it's not just women who get stuck in roles that they don't want. It's guys as well. And again, I just thought that was a fascinating dynamic. And I don't know if I did it again, I might leave people's names out of it because I thought it was a cool, like, oh, wow, look, these parallels, but it can be a little bit distracting. Yeah. You don't need to know about it. Yeah. But it's only there for people who want to get it. Right. So it's, uh, I, I, I think it's kind of cool. You don't need to know about it, but I didn't, I, I thought it was almost dishonest to say, I came up with this all on my own. You know, I, I stole it. I stole everything, but I stole a lot of the characters, not just from uh, the tutors, but also from Virginia historically. I wanted to make sure anything that I put in the book could have happened in the 1920s. You know, my editor a couple of times said, you've got to make her more socially aware. I can't make her sound like she just came, Sally, like she just came from a Black Lives Matter meetings. You know, it, I, I had to get... I had to get inside the head of what were women thinking like that. So I did, like I said, just probably too much research. And there was a, um, after Prohibition failed in America, there was this uh, investigation to what the heck went wrong. The Wickersham Report identified this county in Virginia as being the wettest county in the world. And 99 people in, in um Franklin County uh, were involved in moonshine making in one way or another. You know, they had these uh, caravans of moonshine going on to various places, and it was a very dangerous job. The fastest, most fierce driver of moonshine was a woman, uh, Willie Carter Sharp. So Sally Kincaid is not Willie Carter Sharp, but I wanted to make sure that anything that I put in the book could have happened in the 1920s in Virginia. So a lot of the, the characters... And the events in Hang the Moon are inspired by or, or based on actual events and people. I, Jeanette, I find it really interesting just because, I mean, you've talked about how you wanted it to relate to today. And I, and I think it does because you, you talk kind of a lot about today, how stories get blown out of proportion and how people believe them, uh, how people are obsessed with power and, and status and, and how nobody wants to be portrayed as a hillbilly yokel, which is what you write about. <laughs> you know, a bunch of numbskulls in Washington who think they're smarter than everyone else. I mean, that's like that's a quote from the from your recent book, which was written, say, or a story about a hundred more than a hundred years ago. But that's still going on today. It's like people want to be treated with respect. Absolutely. You know, when it was this real dilemma that I had about whether or not to write things in dialect, I wanted to make it sound conversational and the characters to sound like Virginia a hundred years ago. But once you start going into dialect, to me, there's something about otherness and the way don't they sound funny. And this is before radio. So people didn't know how people in other parts of the country sounded. And post-World War One, we're just starting to like travel a little bit more and, and people from other parts of the country and other parts of the world coming to Virginia. And it was a little startling to people to, oh, we, we speak differently than other people. But to them, the outsiders sounded funny. They weren't the ones who sounded funny. I want to talk a bit about going home again. And it's interesting that you live, uh, you grew, well, you grew up all over the place. I mean, you, you yeah. yeah. San Francisco, you spent time in Welch. Um, yeah. And you're back in one of the places where you grew up and you obviously love it. I do. I do. Yeah. I thought like, I thought I could be a city girl and go around in my dress for success outfits. And I loved it. I lived in New York city for, you know, 30 years almost. I thought it was the greatest city in the world and that I'd never leave. And it was my husband who wanted to relocate here. And I thought like, I thought I'd hate it. And, and I love it. Um, and when I go back to New York, I still love it, but it feels like an old boyfriend with whom I split amicably. I will always love it. But wow, am I glad I moved on? <laughs> just not for me anymore, you know. God bless anybody who lives there, but I don't. It's just not for me. 
Are there ghosts for you in Virginia? Um, not, no, well, you know, Virginia is very different from West Virginia. And I go back to West Virginia. So it's about, about 300 miles away, West Virginia, where I grew up. But it's a million miles away, too. I mean, it's just the Oxycontin addiction. And it was, it was a coal mining town. They don't mine coal anymore. The, the degree to which they do, it's all mechanized. So the unemployment is just through the roof. It's hit that community very, very hard. Um, whenever there's an article about American poverty, they almost always do McDowell County, which is where I grew up. So I love the rolling green hills. I love the countryside. But that level of, of poverty, I mean, the, it, when I went back to visit last day, still weren't getting Internet at all. So it's just it's, it's a tough place to live. So in a way, I'm home in a way I'm not. The Women of Ill Repute. You talk about your um, your husband. I think you met him in the newsroom, right? Back when it wasn't that long ago, you were a journalist. But but he kind of thought that, you, well, he talked you into writing The Glass Castle, which kind of really changed your life. But he, like, you were kind of seen as a snob. <laughs> yeah, but he broke through. He saw that there was a lot more than that. So I just, I just wonder, like, yeah. how that's evolved. Well, it was funny because, you know, I'd go around in my little designer outfits and, you know, I lived on Park Avenue. I'd, I'd gone to Barnard and all these people made all these assumptions about me. And in fact, I, I had this little headbutting one time with a woman and, and she was saying, well, what do you know about? You wouldn't know about what it feels like to grow up tough. You Park Avenue, because, you know, and I was like, oh, I, I was so flattered. I passed. I was like, wow, they really think that I've got this body doll past. Um, you know, kind of shame on me, but... Um, I um, I just kind of kept on myself, and people people made these assumptions. And then my husband, or you know, at the time we were just friends. He said, "There's something about you that doesn't add up." And when I asked you about your mm-hmm. your past, you changed the topic. And why is that? So I changed the topic. And and he said, "You know, if you're not going to be candid about yourself, we can't really be friends any longer because friendship is all about trust." So huh. I, I told him about some things about my past. And he's, his first reaction was that would make an incredible book. He later confessed to me that he thought it was exaggerating. Mm-hmm. He said, it was just so out there and wacky. He said, then I met your mom. <laughs> <laughs> In the <Wow>. dumpster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is really complicated. You know, and mom lived with us for about 10 years before she passed. And he grew very close to her. He really loved her. She's so... Mm-hmm. She was so friggin' smart, and he could talk to her about anything. She's so well-read. I keep on putting her in present tense. She was so well-read, and she'd talk about anything and had a good opinion on anything. Um, and he he and she just got along great. He said, but I never had to turn for, to her for being a mom. You know, he said, it must have been really weird and complicated to have her as a mom. But as as just as a human being, she was fascinating. He also... Something I didn't realize about mom when we were growing up is that um, she, she's a hoarder. And I didn't realize this because we were always moving. Our house was always burning down. But we, we built her house out. And she just filled it up with junk and was just all the time going to, you know, Goodwill or wherever and buying these actually very beautiful little vases and ashtrays and 27 typewriters, 50, I don't mean little cameras, two pianos. And, and, and John came to understand that she just, you know, she'd also bring in rocks and 
dead animals or whatever. And she just found beauty in everything. Everything she just, as many artists, the mom would defend herself saying, you know, Warhol was also a porter and Picasso also was, but since they were so rich and had many mansions, they just, they were collectors, but they see beauty in everything. They, you know, it's, oh, look at it. It's, it's art and the way that it catches the light and I'll do a, a painting of it. And she just saw value and beauty in everything. And it's, it's a lovely quality, but it, it went a little too far with her. And when you have to live with it, it's maddening. But if you can see the beauty in it, it was very interesting. What have you done with all her paintings? I know she refused to sell them. <laughs> I have a barn full of them right now. Oh, it's over five. <laughs> can you sell them? Would you? <laughs> I Absolutely. I would love to give them a happy home. I would love to, you know, I, I, maybe I'll have it a sell or something. I, I don't know for charity or something. I don't know because um, I've got two paintings inside. That's all I want. Um, you know, when the producer for uh, the Glass Castle movie was trying to buy one, she told him, you can't afford it. Because <laughs> <laughs> she didn't want to sell it. <laughs> and I wanted to give one to, to Woody for this amazing performance. She goes, Okay, and I said, "Well, how about this one?" He goes, "No, no, not that one. That's my favorite." Well, how about this one? No, no, I can't let go of that. I love that one. She was just emotionally attached to every single one of them. Jeanette, just uh, back to the movie. Just it it must be interesting. I know that Jennifer Lawrence was first approached to play your character, and then and then it was Brie Larson. Phenomenal actors. Yeah. Yeah. Jennifer Lawrence approached us and she just like, just, she just couldn't make up her mind. Then Brie Larson stepped up like, if she's not going to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> so, okay, great. What is it like to see how other people see your character? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you a funny little story about that. Cause that's what I do. Um, so the first time I met her and she's so friggin' talented, I think she's got extra nerve endings and sees and hears things that most mortals don't, but we're talking and she's kind of reserved and kind of um, a little bit quiet, but the longer we talk, the louder she gets and she starts making these kind of weird gestures and is, uh, starts erupting in this weird cackly laugh. And I'm thinking, what the heck is that about? And then I realize, oh, she's doing me. <laughs> she just completely... <laughs> Just watching me and listening to me, she picked up my body language and my verbal patterns. Um, she did tell the speech coach that uh, she was listening to these recordings of me and it was driving her crazy because I've got five different accents from having lived in different places. And I, I don't even hear it, but I, I lapse in and out of various accents. But people say it must be weird having actors play you and play your family. Honestly, it was kind of the opposite of weird. I thought that they were just so respectful to the point of honoring uh, me and my family. They were very passionate about getting it right and so respectful about not being characters or not making fun of us. I, I thought it was quite amazing. You know, Sarah Snuka, of course, is was amazing in succession. She played my older sister. Lori didn't really want to talk to her. And Lori it was completely supportive of the book and the movie, but she just, I, you know, Jeanette, I... This is just kind of weird. I don't want any part of it. But yeah. Sarah started standing in a way that only my sister does. Lori had this weird way of standing. And all of a sudden, Sarah Snook is standing that way. And I just like, what the heck? And me and my brother, were like, how did she know that? And we went up to her after and said, how did you, how did you get that? Because it wasn't just the standing. It was several things. And she said it was all in the book. She just, these actors are, wow. I, I have unbridled 
not just respect, but awe for them and their capacity for empathy. And I think it's a great lesson for fiction writers and understanding how they would stand, how they would speak, what they would do in certain circumstances, because sometimes the actors would actually tell the director, I, I don't think my character would do that. And he was an amazing director. He'd say, well, what do you think your character would do? And they were usually right. And it just... it. It's it's funny that you mentioned Succession and and Sarah Snook because it, your book this book is it, it's it's a lot about Succession actually it's about it's a lot about inheritance which always goes to the oldest son and less and less and less and less but it it's really interesting it's about passing the torch and expectations and who's gonna so like did you watch Succession did you did you make a link between that and your book or am I reading too much in no, no well it's really interesting you should bring that up because when I was trying to figure out when to mm-hmm. set this book. I had considered doing it modern and making it about media. Yeah, and I made the decision not to. I mean, I didn't start watching Succession until I was almost finished writing this book. I was like, holy crap, I'm so glad I didn't do that because people thought that I was copying it. And people have asked me, was this inspired by Succession? And I wonder if Succession was inspired by Henry VIII. Ah, it's not it's not necessarily a modern story. It's just a timeless. This this empire with this charismatic, you know, head and what happens, who who is chosen to follow? How you know, how people kind of suck up to the, the powerful yeah. leader hoping that they'll be smiled upon and will be given a piece of the pie and then he disappears and what happens. And yeah, I'm fascinated by the story. I was not like I was not inspired by it because I like I said, I didn't start watching it until um, I, I was almost finished writing my book. I, I, I don't read other, I don't read fiction and I don't read highly stylized nonfiction while I'm writing because I find that I start. Uh, yeah. It's too easy to get sucked into somebody else's story. Yeah. Exactly. Like, Oh, I should be doing that. I should be doing that. So, yeah. so I just, um, I, I, I have to limit what I watch and read. And, and I was watching that and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is kind of my story. Um, and I don't know if that validates it or undercuts it, but I, <laughs> It's it's and yeah, a number a number of people have drawn the parallels. Yeah, you know, some people say too much happened. Some of your so the critics of the latest book have said, "Oh, there's just too much that's gone on." But this is all truth is stranger than fiction because all of this stuff did go on and and at that rate yeah. of uh, of acceleration. I want to ask you, and we're almost running out of time, but you have achieved something very few people will ever. Everybody says they have a book in them, and these days, just about everybody writes a book whether they Maureen, yeah, you should write a book. But how about being, and I will, and I am, but what is it like to be on the New York Times bestseller list for eight years? I mean, that's pheno- that in itself is a unique and phenomenal uh, achievement. It's kind of surreal. I mean, it's just sort of like, I, I, I try not to think about it too much. I mean, I don't, uh, like if somebody comes and says, oh, I'm a big fan of yours. I really, I, I, I don't really like that. I like it better I'm a, you know, I'm a reader, I'm a friend or whatever. I just think it's about sharing stories. And I think the fact that so many people are moved by the glass castle is just an indication that they have a story as well. I think it frees up people to to think about mm-hmm. and to tell their own stories. So many people have told me like, I, I didn't want to talk about my story until I read yours and yours is even weirder than mine. So it made me less ashamed of mine. So it's like, great. <laughs> 
you know, if, if, if people would say, you know, I thought I had a screwed up family. Hers is even worse. If that makes people feel good, God bless them. You know, it just, it's all good. You know, fear is contagious and hatred is contagious, but so is honesty and so is openness. And I, I think it's about sharing these things we have in common. One time I was doing this reading and this, this young woman, she stood up, she said, you know, Miss Walls, she said this, this young African-American woman, she said, your book was assigned to me in my school. And she said, I'll be honest. I said, I had no interest in reading about some West Virginia hillbilly. She said, but girlfriend, you and I could be sisters. And to me, oh. that's what it's all about. About breaking yeah. down these barriers and these things that we think we don't have in common. Well, she's just a West Virginia hillbilly. She's just a girl from the ghetto. She's just a girl from the suburbs. No, no, no. We're all the same. We have labels and the labels are accurate, but we're all so much more than our labels. And if you get behind that, and again, that's what those actors did. They got behind those stereotypes and got to like what really moves us. And I think it's, it's a question of empathy and that that's something that should be our kind of go-to emotion when we're, you know, when we're button heads over our differences. It's sort of like, well, let me think about what this person is thinking or feeling or needing and well and your book your books are so much nicer than speaking of empathy your books are just so, they're so much nicer than say succession it might be the same story the same story we tell over and over but they're they're nice and the glass castle is a joyous story i mean it, it's you come away from it feeling uplifted and tough and you, you seem like a happy person a joyous person I'm, I'm like, I'm white. If I, if I weren't happy right now, just take me out to the woodshed and shoot me. Cause I'm just like, I am the luckiest person in the world. I mean, all these great things happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm extraordinarily lucky. I'm extraordinarily happy because I mean, life is good. Um, and yeah, that's one of the reasons I didn't want to do a book about media in the 2021st century, because, you know, I, I was part of that world and I just, it would have ended up being kind of a satire. Um, yes. it's not my world. I, I mm. lived, I had a green card. I lived there for a little while, but they weren't my people. And, you know, I don't think I could have written about them with real compassion. It would have been snarky. So I'm happier with as much, you know, I mean, love is an interesting thing because it can't be blind. You gotta, you gotta know, you gotta see the good and the bad. And it, you know, I, I like heroes that are flawed and villains that are sympathetic because that's the way the world is. Well, Maureen and I are perfect. Um, <laughs> we're not confessing to any flaws, although we probably would have been screwed if it was the prohibition. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but other than that, we're, we're all good. It's been lovely to talk to you. We have to go because it's uh, we've gone so much longer than we normally go. But I think Maureen's got one more question. No, I just want to say the book is called Hang the Moon. It's by Jeanette Walls. It's out and about, and uh, it's, a, it's a hell of a read and should be on your summer list. And uh, I just want to say, Jeanette, it's been such a pleasure meeting you. You're you're even more fabulous than I thought you would be. Oh, bless your heart. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And I hope you both write memoirs. <laughs> well, I'm working on one. <laughs> yeah, my stories are all out now. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been lovely to talk to you. And, and I'm sure you've got more books in you because uh, this one was this one was great. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, if you are watching this on YouTube, you'll know that we lost video for Jeanette halfway through, uh, which is such a shame because she's so animated and and beautiful. She reminds me of uh, Patricia Neal, the actress. She could star in a story of, about herself easily. Uh, and well, what a story about the movie. Yeah. Which was uh, 
fascinating because she's so respectful and so empathetic. And, and it reminded me of, uh, she was talking about the actress playing her. Brie Larson. Yeah. And, and how she did this impersonation of her, which just sort of came naturally or came from the book or whatever. And, wow. and it was, it, it took me back to, because I don't think any of us really realize what we sound like until somebody does an impersonation of you, which somebody did of me years ago when I was in Ottawa. And I was like, oh no. It was Kathy Jones from This Hour is 22 Minutes did an impersonation of you. She nailed you. <laughs> yeah. Well, somebody else, a producer in our office was like, I had this weird up and down thing. I didn't have the weird laugh. Well, I probably have a weird laugh too, but uh, during, the, during the very serious reading of uh, CBC News, I had a very up and down and somebody did an impersonation. And I thought, oh my goodness. Yeah. I like that. So anyway, I mean, she talks about being being tough, both it making you strive for things and write things and accomplish things, but also it makes you appear standoffish to people or makes you suffer. Anyway, I just found her quite, uh, quite compelling. Well, there's that when you said that, that her husband or her boyfriend at the time called that someone had called her a snob. It's all to do with passing, right? When you come from a weird place, be it, you know, a homeless family, which is what in her story uh, or, you know, look at uh, like the people we mentioned off the top, like Liam McLaren, who grew up with a narcissistic mother, um, or or uh, Lauren Hoff, who grew up in a sex cult. You spend mo- the first part of your life trying to hide that. I mean, my father was an alcoholic, and I thought that was the deepest, darkest secret in the world. Until now, I realized everybody's... <laughs> and that and that's not even the deepest darkest or something it's not even yeah. close to to what but you spend so much of your time growing up trying to hide things because your parent your mother told you no one should know about this or what have you that it it it, it alters you forever and then to be able to write about it the way she did with the glass car- castle so cathartic and probably has been for all the other authors that we met because it's just so exhausting keeping a secret that probably doesn't even need to be a secret. I love the way that the, the certain themes carried over in all of her books. And and one of them, because I'm a feminist, whatever, I was struck by it. But the idea that, <clears throat> that, that the wealth, the houses, everything have to go through an inherent line and 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 uh, women are, are there to be married off as young as possible to as rich as possible. I mean, that's still, I mean, you wrote something. You wrote something on your Substack about how, you know, you were raised to think that you were supposed to marry somebody who was in the, the Peter Newman book about the wealth. <laughs> the Canadian <laughs> establishment, yeah. Because, you know, not that I came from that, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah I well, I certainly didn't. I don't think there's a chapter on me. <laughs> no, no, because the book is old and you're 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 well, still current. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why, because I got so much money. But, yeah. but it's just interesting the role of the role of women, and then she keeps talking about that, and 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 as as she should, I, even though now, um, like God bless any of our children being able to uh, being able to survive if they're not the sons of billionaires. But uh, which yeah, <laughs> power of writing, man. I mean, and, and I'd say Jeanette, along with Louise Penny, are probably our two most financially successful authors. I mean, you know, they literally wrote their way to wealth. So well, that alone is amazing. So her uh, her book, uh, Hang the Moon, is being made into a TV series. The uh, Glass oh, I, Castle I, was made into I, a I movie. I didn't know that. 
Yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to ask her without identifying Louise, but what the hell she's been public about it is that her, her book, uh, or her series of books, mystery books were made into a movie, um, or made into a TV series. And she was promised meaningful conversations. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, as a journalist, I know what meaningful conversations mean. Be careful. It's interesting. Uh, she's not, but Jeanette has only had positive experiences. I mean, yeah. she's very happy with the movie. So she may have a different experience than Louise, but yeah, you're right. It's a, that's a horse of a different color when you start making it into a visual experience. Holy smokes. Look at the time. (laughs) (laughs) We got to go. Love talking to you. you. Love talking to her. Bye. Bye. Women of Ill Repute was written and produced by Maureen Holloway and Wendy Mesley with the help from the team at the Sound Off Media Company and producer Yet Belgraver. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.